Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Imran Iqbal with the Providence Medical Associates in California. And today we're answering your questions about phobias. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, on social media. We can be found on Twitter under Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc. That's hashtag Talk with a Doc for a chance to hear your questions on our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Iqbal. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, me too. Tell us a little bit about what you do here. Um, What I do here is I'm a doctor of internal medicine. I work in Southern California and I see patients from the ages of 18 to my oldest patient is 101. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It is amazing. I love it. Awesome. Well, the topic today is phobias. So let's ask the main question, which is how do you even develop a phobia? What causes a phobia? That's what a good, is a phobia? Maybe we there can start we go. with what a phobia is. Well, what I is. wanted to say yeah. was that's a good question, but yeah. what is a phobia? A phobia in general is just an irrational fear. It's a fear that will stop you from doing maybe a daily activity mm-hmm. or cause you to act irrationally. It's something that's very intense irrationally. I understand that one. (laughs) And how, how do we typically get a phobia? Um, phobia is usually, um, influenced by a complex interaction of multiple different factors, biological, Mm -hmm. psychological, um, social and environmental factors. Um, there are some genetic factors. Really? Yeah, there are, there are normal biological factors, personality factors, cognitive factors. And like I said before, social and environmental factors. Talk to me a little bit about genetic, because I've never heard that as it relates to phobias. Also, by the way, I like the fact that you kind of listed all those different pieces, because I have what I would consider to be a phobia of frogs, terrified. Like if there's one on my front porch, can't even go in the house, right? Need somebody to come remove it. But I don't think that it's completely irrational, because when I was a kid, my little cousins held me down and put frogs in my face, in my hair, down my pants. So like I had an experience that caused the phobia, but it is very irrational because I'm a grown woman who can't go into her house if there's a frog on the front porch. Like, so what would you consider that? Is that environmental? Is that, is it a phobia or? Well, you know what? I would probably say that's more environmental because you were, you you had that exposure. Tortured. I was tortured. Yeah. yeah, You know, for sure. For Mm -hmm. sure. Um, Okay. But but let's talk about genetic because I'm fascinated by the genetic piece. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Specific phobias tend to aggregate in families. Um, first degree relatives, which means, you know, your brothers, your sisters, or your parents, um, with specific phobia, phobias, so have an increased risk. Um, so if you have someone in your family who has that, you are at increased risk, uh, 31% versus 11% um, of having the disorder compared to someone without a history of any type of mental disorder. And the when same I, type of phobia or just phobias in general? Phobias in general, okay. um, but it is more likely to have the same type of phobia because it's something that's been instilled on you. Well, that's a nature-nurture kind of a that thing, That is right? correct. Okay. That is correct. You know, So usually that'll come from you know a parent being afraid of maybe a spider and then right, you right. develop that same thing. Um, however, you know, uh, particular phobias can be transmitted in often from the, the same type of phobia, like we were just saying, you know, so would it be the same? Yeah, usually, usually it is the same type of phobia. An example, a parent, you know, sometimes reports, you know, fear of dogs, and then the son can report a fear of snakes, but they both have this, an animal that they fear now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's also some evidence that shows that there's genetic transmission, um, which varies across the different types of phobias. Um, 
one type of phobia that that we usually see something like this is blood injection injury phobias. Um, usually, fifty nine percent of them have that. What does that mean? Um, fear of needles. Fear of needles. Okay. Fear of needles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very long terminology for <laughs> fear was. of needles. <laughs> big words, big words, you know. But yeah, fear of needles is fifty nine percent common in families. Yeah. Okay. So you said there's different kinds of phobia. Can you give us examples of each of those? Is that possible? Yeah, for sure. Um, so there are we have five main uh, specifiers, which or we call them types of phobias that we have in um, in psychiatry. We use what's called a DSM five um, category, mm-hmm. um, and that's based on the nature of phobia stimulus. So number one, we would say animals, and that would consider spiders, insects, dogs, etc. Uh, the other one frogs. Is, and frogs, sorry, I, I forgot <laughs> the most important, frogs. the most important, not the most common. <laughs> um, and then the natural environment, you know, I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of, you know, people are afraid of the weather, sure. um, water. Mm-hmm. You know, we have people that are afraid of water. And then the blood injection injury, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would be, you know, fear of needles um, and also actually invasive medical procedures. Doctors, a lot of people are afraid of doctors. They are afraid, you know, they're afraid to go into the doctor because they don't know what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know if they're going to diagnose them with th- something or, oh, no, they're going to ask for blood. And I've had patients that come in, they're like, they don't want to come to the doctor because they don't want to give blood. Interesting. Okay. And then we have situational which would be um, fear of being in elevators, mm-hmm. airplanes, um, in close places, which we were actually talking about before we started today. Um, you know, when people are in, say, like caves, uh, I have a lot of patients who can't go into MRI machines. Right. And if they do, they literally do need to be medicated, you know, and we take care of that um, because the MRI is something that's needed and we can't say, oh, because of your fear, we're not going to do this. So, And we'll talk about this later on how we take care of certain uh, phobias. I can give you the personal one on that because I had to get an MRI and I didn't know I had a phobia and then I panicked and had to reschedule the whole thing, did it again, panicked again, had to reschedule, and then they just gave me diazepam or something. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> but I didn't know. They asked me. I said, oh, no, it's never happened. It won't happen again. I'm sure I was just having an off day because I didn't know I had the phobia. Now I do. Yeah, now you know. Mm-hmm. At least you know now. And yeah. the other, we have a category called others. And <laughs> that's usually uh, when people are afraid of things such as loud sounds or okay. actually, um, this is an interesting one, costume characters. Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. hear people about having fear of clowns. Clowns. And there's, you ask them why. There's no rational reason on why they're afraid I of a like clown. I feel like it's a Hollywood thing, though. I feel like you have those movies, right? It could so be. You movies. have movies like It, you know? Yeah. And, you know, some people just can't watch horror films because mm-hmm. of that. It's just, you know, and, and it's a fear. It's, it's a phobia. And are, are phobias, do they just naturally develop or are they caused by trauma? Um, phobias are not necessarily caused by trauma. Um, as we said earlier, most phobias are based on these specific factors. Um, so some of them can be just an environmental factor. Um, some of them can be on personal factors. So I wouldn't say it's 100% based on that. Okay. And you named these different kinds, but are some of them more common than others? Oh, for sure. You know, depending on the different factors, such as having a genetic factor and first degree relatives of individuals with specific phobias, like we said before, have an increased risk um, uh, compared to having any other type of mental disorder. So yeah, yes, they can. Is a phobia a mental disorder? Phobia would be considered a mental disorder. You know, we have behavioral mental health, which is Mm -hmm. really not talked about. Um, too often um, nowadays, um, we are bringing it more into the limelight um, mm-hmm. because it is a more of a disease state that has not been addressed. It's been pushed, uh, you know, under the rug or in the shadows, and now we're bringing it out because 
anxiety is considered, you know, mm-hmm. anxiety causes phobias, you know, and that is definitely a mental health disorder. So definitely these are considered mental health disorders. So then with some mental health disorders like anxiety or depression, you can treat them, you can theoretically cure them, but at least we know we can treat them. Can you treat a phobia? Can you cure a phobia? Phobias can definitely be cured and treated, most definitely, and we'll go into treatment in a bit. Wow. I would love to know, I guess, first how you diagnose the phobia. The um, information that you get from the patient is the most important for establishing what we call a differential diagnosis, which gives us you know, little options of what we think it might be. Um, a number of disorders uh, feature fear and the avoidance of specific situations. To distinguish a specific phobia from one to the other, it's helpful to consider the focus of the fear. The nature of the fear and avoidance and whether the fear is captured by some sort of other disorder. And that's mm-hmm. how we usually begin to diagnose the phobia. Give me an example of that. On the spot. I'm going to put him on the spot <laughs> right now. That was good. An example of that would be if you have anxiety and this anxiety is always increased when you hit a red light. And why? Because you know someone or yourself was involved in a motor vehicle accident and this has not gone away. Got it. That makes sense. Are things like fear of public speaking, is that an actual phobia? That's an actual phobia. You know, um, fear of public speaking is, and there's actually a pill that we give patients um, so they can speak in public. Really? Um, Yeah. You know, I've had patients that came in and they said, you know, listen, I give a lot of um, talks at meetings. I'm one of the main presenters and I'm having problems with it. And based on that, you know, like there have been studies done to indicate that certain type of medication would be helpful in that. What does it do? Does it calm you? Does it, I mean, how does the medication work for a phobia? So depending on what type of phobia, but if it was for public speaking, yes, it kind of, you know, kind of calms you down, Mm -hmm. um, gives you more of a rationality of the environment that you're in. So you're able to um, take care of what you need to take care of. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. So you said that when you're diagnosing it, a lot of it is coming from the patient. What if it's a child? Is it, are the parents, like I, I read something recently about a lot of kids actually have a phobia of going to sleep and maybe it's because they're afraid of monsters. I don't know what it is, but how, how do you find, how do you treat them or diagnose them as the kids? So when children, it's a little different because sometimes children you think is an irrational fear, which is a normal fear that they're having. There's monsters in the closet. Um, there's something under my bed. Um, but then if the child is, nine years old and they start to urinate in their bed while they're sleeping, we do have an issue going on. Mm -hmm. That's not a normal type of response. Um, You know, screaming is a normal response. Kids do it. You know, you soothe them and they're fine. Um, But when they're having other responses that are physiological, you need to intervene. And that's how you know. And do phobias typically come on early in life, later in life, or does it, is it really just varies? Phobias will vary. Um, you can develop a fear for something later on in life because you haven't experienced it yet. So, you know, if you've never been on an airplane, you won't have a fear of an airplane unless you haven't been on an airplane because you hear about accidents Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, um, other things that happen with that. That's why I always tell people, you know, for example, for that specific example, you know, they're afraid of a plane crashing per se. Well, we drive every day, and statistically speaking, the risks are higher when you're in a motor vehicle than you are anywhere else. So now you're so, going to give them a phobia of driving. Well, I thought I'd just be a little more rational. 
<laughs> well, I assume that some phobias are more severe than others. How, why is that, and, and how do we know? So the severity is usually due to the patient's perception of the phobia. Okay. Yeah. So a, a person who has a fear of fish uh, but doesn't live by a body of water, oh. <laughs> right? They, so they don't encounter fish in the course of their daily living, and it's not bothered by having the fear, and they, you don't receive a specific phobia diagnosis based on that. Some phobias, though, like I was just saying about Hollywood or whatever, but like sharks. There are so many people who are afraid of sharks, but how many people get attacked by a shark, right? Is this because we've seen Jaws and we've seen 47 meters? Like, do people become, have phobias of things because they've seen it on TV or in a movie? I would say, yeah, you know, um, it's how the object is perceived. Um, like we said before about clowns, um, the objects are perceived as evil. Sharks as perceived as they will bite you when they see you no matter what. They will bite uh, a body part off and then you'll still be living, you know. Mm -hmm. So based on that perception, the fear develops. Um, I don't know if I would call it a necessary uh, the diagnosis of a phobia like we said before because you haven't experienced anything with being with a shark. Interesting. Are some things though, because like we hear a lot of like women say, I'm afraid to be fat. Like I have a fear of getting fat. That is really more of a different type of a mental health issue, right? That's more of like an eating disorder or body dysmorphia. Is it a phobia or not? That's, that's a great question. You know, um, that is more of a, a mental disorder with a perception of I'm being fat, not a, a fear that I'll get fat. It's more of the perception that, oh, I look fat. Um, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. And then that leads to, you know, bulimia or anorexia, which are definitely diagnosed uh, disorders. Okay. Well, this is a great conversation. I'm learning so much. We have a lot of questions still to come, but I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue talking about phobias. It's okay. It's okay. 
Sunday best Hey, feeling good Like I should Winning the walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed Never stressed Got that sunshine on my Sunday best and we're back on Talk with the Doc, and I am here with Dr. Iqbal, and we are talking about phobias. And we've talked a lot about the kinds of phobias. We've talked about what they are. Let's talk about how we treat them. For sure. You know, um, first, I do want to mention that, you know, if you do think you have some type of phobia, you know, to speak to your primary care physician, if not, you know, a psychiatrist. Um, a lot of times what I do recommend, you know, first, you want to speak to a therapist. Um, I promote... Uh, psychological therapy first um, before we start on any type of medication because sometimes what that does it it brings out any type of other situations that are causing this phobia that you weren't aware of um, anything and everything in the world can be treated with a medication but we don't want to jump to that right. first um, secondly we have um, behavioral and cognitive um, modifications that should be done um, prior to starting on medications depending on the severity of it Behavioral modifications are the best way to handle phobias. Um, an for example, an individual with a dog phobia, they can cross the street to avoid walking past a dog, and they can carry pepper spray for protection. That doesn't make sense. You know, why would you do that to a dog? Dogs, you know, 90% of them are going to walk by you and not really do Harmless. anything, or, yeah. or they want you to pet them, mm -hmm. you know, um, but people have this perception that the dog will bite my finger off. Um, so behavioral therapy is what is, you know, usually required in a situation like that. And, you know, usually what that is, is uh, introduce the person, you then look at the dog from far away, you know, and then on the next treatment, you'll, you know, be closer and closer, then introduce them to dogs and, you know, how dogs react to humans and, you know, what, what a dog really is. So we do have things like behavioral therapy. Um, cognitive therapy is more of doing and talking about things that affect the mind. You know, and that would be not the physical interaction with the fear, but the mental interaction, meaning you should have an understanding of, for example, what spiders do. Mm -hmm. Spiders really don't harm anyone. They are for the environment. Um, we mentioned about the fish. The fish will not harm you. The fish will not harm people. So you have to have a cognitive understanding of what you're afraid of. Um, not only that I'm afraid, but why am I afraid? And what is this fear about? And the object that I'm afraid of, you need to kind of have a knowledge about that. And that's part of cognitive learning. And then, like I said, also, you know, our last step would be medications. Mm -hmm. um, what type of medications that we use? There's a vast array of medications, and that definitely, you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone looking those up and looking up side effects right now. But, you know, it's something you want to definitely discuss, you know, with your uh, physician to see if you are even a candidate for that. Well, I think that's a really good segue because how do we know if we need to see a doctor about it, right? Is it just when it becomes so problematic that I can't do my daily living or, I mean, because I'm not sure I want to go to the doctor for a phobia, but I'm sure that there are times when we need to. You know, that's a very good point. Um, the time you know that it's time to see someone, um, be it a psychiatrist on your own or go to talk to your doctor, is this is affecting my daily routine and my daily life. Um, I'm not going the five minute way to work. I'm taking 30 minutes and I'm late all the time. I am not cleaning the house because I'm afraid I might find a spider. Now the house is dirty, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so it's affecting your daily life. Um, 
or if your fear is affecting others around you and it's causing problems with your relationship, problems with your children or your family or a spouse, those are things that affect your daily routine or your daily life. And that's when you should consider that some sort of intervention or help is necessary from a medical provider. And it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist. You could go see your doctor first, yes? Yeah, as I said before, you know, mm-hmm. you can go see your doctor first. Obviously, depending on your insurance, maybe you want to go speak to a therapist first, too, which is very, very helpful. And I guess my question for you would be, is a phobia an actual medical diagnosis? Like, would my insurance potentially cover treatment for it, or is it really going to vary? Great question. Um, it is. It is a medical diagnosis. And the therapy that's involved in there is covered most of the time by insurance but you know i always want our listeners to know you need to you know find out on your own and check to see and make sure because sometimes they're not and sometimes you might have to do certain therapies on your own but remember regardless of that you want to make sure you're getting the help that you need you mentioned kind of the different kinds of therapy and you talked a little bit about exposure therapy how effective is that over other options it's very effective um our mind and our actions kind of dictate what we usually do on a daily routine. So um, depending on if you get the appropriate therapy and you actually take the time to do that therapy, they work very well. So I got to ask you the question, do you have a phobia? You know, I sometimes think I do, and then I say, no, I'm probably not afraid of X, Y, and Z. But when I do think deeply about it, You know, you watch these movies about people getting stuck in a tunnel Mm. and they have to crawl through it. You know, I was watching this one movie where there was this um, brother and sister and they had to crawl through a tunnel to get to another country. And um, there were rats in the tunnel. Oh, no. Mm -mm. And 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 I thought to myself, I go, yeah, it's not worth it to go to any country for Mm -mm. that. I'm done. Mm -mm. I'm done. You know, so I think enclosed space and rats. No. Oh, yeah. Mm. Forget it. You know. Um, Probably some spiders in there. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, I have a lot of, um, you know, patients that come in, you know, like I said before, for those MRIs. And I think about that and I say, would I be able to do that? I go, I think I'm strong enough. I can do it. But I don't know because I haven't you done know, it until yet. Until you get in there. Yeah. yeah until exactly. you get in there. So, yeah. Is there a more common phobia that you see when people come in? Well, you, you know, when I have patients that come in, um, their most common phobia, I guess, would be related to the type of patients that I see, you know, so most of my patients have, I would say agoraphobia, Mm, you know, and what is agoraphobia, you know, agoraphobia is a fear of going outside. And I'm lucky if I even get those patients to come in because they're so afraid to go outside, they don't come in. Um, But the reason they're actually coming in to see me is not because of their fear of going outside. It's because they've developed some medical issues and they haven't gone anywhere to get the help. And now they are. And that's when that comes out. And it's usually a family member that's bringing them in for this, um, kind of forcing them to come in mm-hmm. and then all these other issues you, you know, we're able to help out with. Absolutely. That is one of the biggest things with agoraphobics is they just don't get the health care that they need. That is correct, yeah. Which is why I'm so excited about things like telepsych, right? Like the Providence System has telepsych and behavioral health through technology. I just think these virtual visits are at least an option for people to at least start that conversation. It makes it a lot easier. You know, um, we live in a society where we're looking for convenience. And I think 
every individual in society can find a certain convenience that they need. And this is a perfect example. So if someone does have some sort of phobia or you're kind of embarrassed, you know, to come into a doctor's office to talk about some Mm -hmm. problem, you can always do telemedicine. Um, That way you don't have this personal interaction with someone, but you are getting them again. Unless you choose to. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. But you're still going to get medical treatment, you know, from that appointment. I have to ask you too, what are the most kind of irrational phobias because I was doing some research on this and I saw like Whoopi Goldberg's afraid of of flying and butterflies which isn't horrible but Khloe Kardashian's afraid of belly buttons yeah I don't understand this one so you know the the more you look into these type of subjects you, you know you name it someone's going to be afraid of it I believe the most irrational is not just necessarily a body part but being afraid of water you know, and that is a phobia that is out there, yeah. you know, considering the earth is covered 75% of water, um, being afraid of water is not very rational. You know, our bodies are also made up so how much of, of our body water. is water, right? Most of it is water. So you do, you know, that's an irrational phobia where you need medical, you need medical therapy for yeah. that because you won't be able to function on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about fears of doctors and, and, and needles. And I know Selena Gomez has a fear of needles and she just didn't get medical detection when she needed it. And so she actually has done a couple of social posts about it and just really talked to people about the fact that you need to try to conquer that fear. Is there a number? Have you ever read a number like how many people aren't getting medical attention because of this fear or any really serious cases that you've helped prevent by treating that? I haven't necessarily seen a specific number, but what I would say is because of the fact that we talked about mental health not being on the forefront of the help that the patients need, that most of these fears go ignored. Mm-hmm. I won't even say unnoticed because everyone knows that they're out there. The people who are interacting with these people and the people themselves, you know, most of these people realize that it's an irrational fear, but they do not go to get the help that they need. Um, I think if we promoted more of mental health um, amongst our patients and let them understand that we're out there to help them, they will bring it up a little more often because, you know, for example, if someone came to see me, they think that, oh, you know, well, Dr. Iqbal only takes care of my diabetes and my blood pressure, um, my headaches, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, my stomach pains. But, you know, I encourage my patients because they do come in and they go, oh, I think I need to see a psychiatrist because, oh, I'm having trouble at work and I feel depressed now. I'm having trouble with, you know, my supervisor. I go, well, no, you don't need to go anywhere because now you want to go see a psychiatrist and they're going to tell you, well, the wait is, you know, six weeks and you can't wait six weeks. I go, I take care of that. So, you know, our population needs to understand. And when I say population, I mean all of our listeners out there that, you know, your primary care physician can take care of this just as well as, you know, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And I'm not saying don't go to see them, but, you know, what we usually do is say, listen, you're kind of in good hands right now. You're fine. Or I think you've progressed a little more than we can handle. Let's try to get you to um, the psychiatrist. But you already have that relationship with, you know, their overall health history. Like those are very important things that I think sometimes when you go to a psychiatrist, you maybe don't have that handle on. But I also think it's really important. I know Providence as a system has made uh, behavioral health integrated into primary care so that there's, there's, uh, classes that people can take there's in the electronic medical record there's things that you can give people you can assign them so are you starting to see more primary care practice and more internal medicine doctors really focus on the behavioral health aspect 
I am definitely seeing that. What I'm seeing nowadays is that the primary care physicians are taking care of a lot more um, things, especially me mental health. Um, we in our um, group have and are in the process of increasing our mental health facilities that we have available to our patients, including you know psychiatrists, including psychologists, um, and also including counseling, you mm -hmm. know, which would include behavioral um, modifications that we were talking about earlier and cognitive therapies that are available to patients. It is important that our listeners do understand that, you know, that this is a problem out there and you need to seek help and definitely ask your primary care provider, even if they are not comfortable doing it, they'll tell you, why don't you go see, you know, the doctor that is right next door to me. He's good on this specific subject. It's that no shame thing, right? Like we really have to focus on stigma reduction because everybody has a fear of something for the most part. Everybody has a day that they're down. Like it just needs to be okay to talk about it. And I think doctors, especially having that conversation with people is so very important. So thank you for doing that. You're very welcome. Are there any types of phobias that you're seeing an increase of specifically for you? And I know we've, we've seen a lot of increase in the news and media about um, agoraphobia is becoming bigger because people aren't leaving the house because they've got virtual technology and they've got social media and they've got all these different things. Is there something that you're seeing more often now? Nowadays, what I've been seeing mostly is, I would say, actually, I've seen a couple of things and I'll mention them to you. One was, um, you know, Fear of dogs. Mm. I have a lot of patients that are actually getting bitten by dogs mm -hmm. um, because they react the opposite way you want to react when you see a dog. Mm -hmm. So dogs can sense Absolutely. how you are. And if they get a negative sense from you, that's the dog's reaction is to, oh, well, this is not good. This is probably not a person who wants to do good for me. They want to mm -hmm. harm me. And that's why things like that happen. So that's one thing that I've seen. And then, like I mentioned, the agoraphobia. Um, people are afraid of snakes. We don't encounter them that often, so they're not gonna come into the office asking for that help. But I do see a lot, and I would say mostly nowadays is the fear of flying. Oh, okay. With the different types of accidents that are happening, mm -hmm. and also with the fear of catching some sort of virus. Absolutely. Or some sort of disease on a plane. You know, we have these great movies out there that kind of encourage the fact that, oh, you go on a plane, everyone's going to turn into a zombie. Right. <laughs> and then once you land, you're going to, you you're know, spread, spread your, spread, spread the zombie <laughs> virus everywhere. Um, I have a lot of patients that do have that fear, but their fear is mostly, you know, the plane might crash, mm -hmm. you know, and what I like to tell them is, you know, logically your chances are very low, give them statistics. Um, and sometimes I do medicate those patients. Um, and this is all based on my my interaction. And like we just said, that the interaction will be a lot more closer when you come to your primary care physician because I know my patients. And I would say, hey, listen, you know, you might benefit from taking this pill before your flight. It'll calm you down and you'll be fine for a six-hour or a 12-hour flight depending on, you know, what the need is. Well, this has been really interesting, very fascinating. I think we're almost out of time, so I'm going to ask you, is there one takeaway you want people to know when it comes to the topic of phobias? I want everyone to understand that you have to understand what a phobia is, what we discussed earlier, that's an irrational fear. When you realize that this irrational fear is affecting your daily routine, seek help from a medical provider, and we're out there to help, and we're, we're very happy to see you in the office. Don't take it as a stigmata.
That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Iqbal, for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. We can be found on Twitter under Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. And to learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit future.pshahealth.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.